You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, right now, I'd like you to open the Word of God, if you would please, to Acts chapter 11. Go with me to Acts chapter 11 in the New Testament. I want to speak this morning on this subject of our Lordship, the King Jesus. What does this look like in our lives, our Lordship, the King Jesus? Right here, right now, uh, we are on the verge of the beginning of this new year. And it's already been announced with our next level. Well, we've got got some themes. And so basically, our next level uh, statement is seeking the presence of God at the next level. But our core value is that that God is needing to be number one in our lives. And that's Matthew 6.33 is where Jesus gives emphasis about seeking the kingdom of God first. And all these things, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so it's important to be able to hear that again. Give emphasis to that again. Pastor Capace will begin preaching next week on the next level statement about the presence of God. Seeking the presence of God at the next level. Today I want to give emphasis to that statement of our core value, of what it means for God to be number one. Obviously, it's very much a temptation, if you will. The longer we live, there can be a great rally where God is number one and no question of his lordship. But then there are days where we go hot one day and cold the next. There can be wavering. And so when God needs to stay number one, God's people just need to have that reminder. Emphasis. So I'm glad that that is our core value statement right now. And so today, I want to give a concentration to that statement with compliment to this text in Acts 11, which is also a text that is simultaneously about what we are doing here as a church family, as this church here in the text involves the church at Antioch. And so right now, as we pledge our lordship to King Jesus... Let's assess, let's be honest in our evaluation between our own hearts and God. Let's, let it, let's not leave here for God to be any less than number one in our marriages, our families, our faith, and everything we do. Pray with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of what it is that my brothers and sisters, that we know that Jesus is the Christ, and that today our steadfast hope and our love is in you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to all of us. And I pray, Father, that you would glorify your name now. In this time, in this word, Lord, speak. And you honor yourself, Lord, through the obedience of your people. God, help all of us to see what you say about lordship in the right text that you bring it out. God, I pray blessing upon all who are hurting, all that have need. I pray for all here today that are lost without Jesus. Lord Jesus, show them the sweetness and amazing grace of your salvation that they would know the Christ. I pray this in the name of Christ. Your will be done, Lord. Amen. So we are introduced in this passage in Acts 11 to, as I mentioned, the church at Antioch. One thing I want to share with you about this is that it's super important to try to know exactly what we're getting into. So this church here in our passage that we get into the lordship of Jesus, 
It's a church actually that was the first Gentile church outside of Jerusalem. And so whenever the, Bible, whenever the New Testament began and, and the church exploded after Christ rose from the dead, everything happened right there in Jerusalem and the church was born and there were thousands of people being saved and it was an amazing revival. But everything was just concentrated to that Jerusalem area and the Jewish people and trying to win them to Christ, the Messiah. So what happened is that eventually the gospel would go beyond Jerusalem and end up in this place called Antioch to where this first church would be there that was a Gentile, non-Jewish church. It was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was actually founded back in 300 BC is when the city Antioch started. It was in the Alexander the Great, if you know your history, during his era of time. And what we know is that back in this day and time, the largest city in the ancient world was Rome. And then next to Rome was a city called Alexandria. That was the second largest. But the third largest city in the ancient world in the first century was Antioch. It had about a half a million people. And when you go back to that day and time, Rome was known for its power. Athens was known for its philosophy, but Antioch was known for its pagan immorality. In fact, the historians of that day write about Antioch and describe it in their way as not even a Christian historian. They call it gross, sickening. It was so pagan in its immorality that it gained that reputation. Lordship to an ancient mind was never a spiritual idea. Lordship to a people back in this day and time was a political idea. They did not look at a Lord as a spiritual component. Because they politically were looking at who's in charge? Who's going to rule? Who's going to conquer the land? They didn't think about spirituality and lordship until Jesus came along. When Jesus Christ came along, he began to introduce that he has a kingdom that's not of this world. And that kingdom is not going to be some other king who's bigger and better is going to replace him in 200 years. No, his kingdom shall never end. And you and I get to be part of that kingdom through Jesus Christ. Amen? The thing about the day and time of Jesus is that all of the people that followed him were trying to buy into that political mindset. So they were trying to make Jesus the king. They were hoping that he would overthrow the Roman Empire and that he would set him up as the king of the Jews. But he had to explain to them the type of kingdom he was about. In that sense, back in this day and time, the reason why it was a political big deal to be a king It's because in this day and time, the motto in the ancient world was this. We don't care how you live, just pay your taxes to Rome. That's how they thought. So that's why people did whatever they wanted. There was no spiritual idea in lordship. The Bible speaks to us through eras of Old and New Testament about kingship. You and I are already used to this, right? We've already been introduced to pharaohs in Egypt. 
We've been introduced to kings in Babylon. We've been introduced to Caesars of Rome. We already have the idea that this is all over the New Testament. But I want to tell you that at the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, it was in John 19 whenever Pilate was there crucifying or about to crucify Christ, you might remember the people were shouting out, crucify him! And Pilate responded with this answer, this question. Crucify him. He's trying to release him. And he said, shall I crucify your king? And that's when you heard the people say, we have no king but Caesar. That was the mindset that they had. Jesus would not be a lord to them. Rather, they would be a lord. He would, they, their lord would be the government. And whoever would call the shots, Rome was dominating the New Testament landscape of that day through all of the kings or the Caesars. And I want to say to you today that the church at Rome, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, that were part of this era that we're going to look at in Acts 11, part of these, these brothers and sisters, they understood the cost of lordship. Like they got it, and I want to get it too. I hope that you do too. The cost that they understood is that when Paul would write in Romans 10, and he would make this statement that we use all of the time when somebody's going to become a Christian. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The reason why Paul would have to say that statement, if you, as a Christian in Rome, dominated by the Romans, they only say Caesar is the Lord. If you are willing to say there's another Lord, then you're going to risk your life in saying that. So if you confess that Jesus is Lord, that he raised from the dead, you will be saved. I believe that's the reason why, knowing the cost of prison or death, only those born again would pledge lordship to King Jesus over a Roman Caesar in that day. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 12, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And he's right. Because only the Spirit of God within you and a believer in this context would lead you to say that because you would put your life on the line if you did. I'm going to tell you, in this day and time, from then there to there to now, there was no part-time Christianity. Jesus was either Lord of all or he wasn't Lord at all. Like they didn't blend it. They didn't blur. That's how it was. If lordship is ever in question, then discipleship officially becomes in crisis. What we have to be able to say is, Lord, are you my Lord? Jesus, are you more than just the band-aid? Are you more than just somebody that I lean on whenever I'm having a hard time? Do I sometimes come to talk to you and sometimes not? Is Jesus the Lord of our heart and our life? I can remember... When Christ saved me when I was 17, and I've shared some of my story with the church in the past, but I can tell you when I got saved at 17 by Jesus, he became my Savior. Radically changed my life. Completely flipped me upside down and around. But it was when I turned 18, about a year later, and after I'd been baptized, I began to finally, I was at Henderson State University, and I was beginning uh, college and and I started as my freshman year there, and I was, I was beginning to suddenly soak in 
Who all is Jesus? What is the word of God? And before I knew it, I began to have like electricity running through my soul. Like an all of a sudden awakening, the realization that I've been saved by Jesus. Like I understand the grace of God at a deeper level. And all of a sudden I began to realize, man, everything in my life that does not honor Jesus as king does not need to have place in my life. Suddenly, Jesus, who had become my Savior, was now, it was sinking in. No, he is to be my Lord. And I pray that that's the case for all of us today. And even through my mistakes and the journey of him saving me, and I still want him to be my Lord. I want him to rule and reign my heart, and I pray that you do too. Lordship originates from this deep love for Jesus Christ as the CEO of our heart, our soul, and our mind. The crown of lordship to King Jesus is not merely just the knowing, but it's the doing of the will of God. And, and it's yet lordship is just the results. It's not just the results of obedience, but it's the unshakable desire for obedience. Like the part of you that craves, longs for Lord, I want to be all I can today for you, King Jesus. Like the part of you that just can't let go of that desire. Sometimes it's not the problem of whether or not we're making the disciples. Sometimes the problem is do we even have a desire for it? And if the desire is handicapped and crippled, if the desire has been paralyzed and it's, and it's just stagnating, that's where God's people have to say, Lord, am I kidding anyone? I may be fooling everybody, Lord. But I'm not fooling you. You are to be my Lord. I want to take, I want the blood of the saints of the New Testament, the pages that are written here. I want all that I see here. I want the mantra. And I want the passion that flowed through their veins. I want that to be mine. I want to live for the Christ like I don't have a tomorrow. Like that is the Lordship. But somehow I believe in modern day Christianity, we separate that. Almost like sometimes we can just get too good for it. Like that was back then, this is now. But we've got to remember, times have changed and, and cultures have changed. And I get it, I have. But the one thing that hasn't changed is a commitment to Jesus the Christ. The lordship to him is still very much now. In Psalm 40 and verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will, O God, and your laws within my heart. Today is the delight there. I pray that it is. And if it very well may be that there's some wavering going on, we're going to ask some questions throughout the text. And let's answer the questions. And let it be that we just come to Jesus today, not with any condemnation, but with an invitation to say, Lord, I want to be more for you than what you're getting. I didn't sign up for your salvation just to be saved and go to heaven to not, to not be living my life for you with passion and purpose. Like, I, I want your lordship to be more than just something I see in the Bible. I want, it, I want it seen in my life. And it very well may be if any of us are struggling right now, I pray that if we can look at that and say, if, if Jesus, is he getting as much from our Christian lives as, as should be? God being number one is the key. And the centrality of this text is that lordship saturates it. You can see it all over the people. Let's dive in and let's take a look at this together. There's the flame of lordship here in the church. And I want you to see what it is. You'll notice right here, beginning at verse 19, it says, Now those who have been scattered 
as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, notice this, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So right away, we notice that there is something that has just happened. The Bible is introducing that this situation is because of some kind of scattering, because of some kind of man by the name of Stephen. So while we're not going to read all of this, I do want you to hear these few verses. It's in the 8th chapter of Acts about Stephen that the Bible says this. Saul, who was persecuting the church, agreed with putting Stephen to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried and mourned deeply over, buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. What stands out here that I don't want you to miss is simply in the fact that what the Bible is saying is that when they were scattered because of Stephen, on the day that, that this happened where they stoned Stephen to death, it didn't just stop there, and then they went back to their churches. What happened is like a bomb went off in Jerusalem. It got so bad that they started going to every Christian they could find. The Bible said, on that day. It was like a one-day bomb, crisis. Suddenly, everybody, nobody had a chance to tell people bye. It was like they started Monday morning one way, and they ended Monday night a different way. It just wasn't the same. Immediately. This happened. So whenever we read this text and we see everybody has been scattered, it's not like they had time to get used to this. It's not like they had a chance to prepare for it. It just happened. But what we see in the text, notice it. They were scattered as far as those cities preaching the word to Jews only. They didn't stop and feel sorry for themselves. Like they didn't say, hey, time out. i got to be able to rebuild my life. And then I'll get serious about Jesus again. Instead, they were absolutely full of what we're going to call perseverance. It's evident in the text. Through perseverance is what we see here is the flame of lordship. And it's the perseverance that won't stop because it won't settle. And that's what we find in the text here. And here's what it is. The perseverance can be seen truly because there's disruption from what was actually peaceful. Can you imagine the time of which they got scattered? Imagine what it would be like for you and I to all of a sudden have one thing that, that's normal in life and then all of a sudden it's no longer normal in the course of one day. For many of us, that's happened. It very well may be even there right now in this moment that some of us have had some unexpected scattering. Some unexpected, I couldn't prepare for this moment kind of situations. It happened with a phone call. It happened with a text, an email. It happened with a conversation at work. It happened when you realized that all of a sudden, man, what was normal last Tuesday, now it's totally different today. And maybe you're struggling. I want to tell you that persevering when Jesus Christ is Lord is the key here. Even when life got disrupted, they were still preaching Jesus. They were still making Christ known. 
even to the Jewish people. The Bible says they were scattered as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, even to Cyrene. I want you to look on your screen right here for a moment. This is a map, and this gives you a visual idea of just exactly what we're talking about. Jerusalem is where the church was, and then whenever the persecution happened, they got scattered all the way far north. Phoenicia is the region right north of Jerusalem. Cyprus is the island. Antioch, where the church is going to begin, is right there. 300 miles north of Jerusalem is Antioch. Tarsus is where Saul, Apostle Paul, is from. All the way west over here, not on your map, near Africa, is going to be Cyrene. So what we've got here is a recognition is that this is a visual. This just lets us know how serious it is that the disciples got scattered out as far as they did. So what we look at together in today is that even when there's disruption from what was peaceful in our lives, sometimes perseverance shows up as even when there's distance from when something was normal. It might be right now that you and I have had some things shake up our lives. It might be somebody, maybe today, may have had a situation happen to where whatever took place has scattered you has affected you in such a way, and you are just needing to not cool off on Jesus. And you're needing to somehow get your bearings together and not give up. It very well may be that that's you, my friend. Be encouraged and understand that when Jesus Christ is Lord, you persevere like these believers did, no matter the distance and no matter the disruption, you don't want to cool off on Christ. He's calling you back. And if it very well is, that some of us may have given up. We've stopped praying. We are so shackled by the situation maybe of whatever took place that kind of shook us up that we've just got to come back to him in that way. And I pray that we do. The question you can ask yourself is this, and I ask myself too, is during my tough times, is Jesus actually pursued as Lord through my strain? Or is he last on my list? Unfortunately, what happens is that when things get tough sometimes, it can be like, oh, we're all about church. We're all about being faithful. And then, man, you have something take place that you weren't expecting, and it really does challenge your faith. Amen? It starts to make you realize, why do I believe what I believe? And am I going to believe what God said? I said amen to all the promises of God. Now i got to live them. That's where we're at. These believers in this text, they had to persevere. They didn't want to quit. And they didn't quit because Jesus Christ was the Lord of these people. See, this is the key. His Lordship is why this is happening. It's not like they got something special figured out. They just know Jesus and he is with them in this way. I will want you to know that when the flame of Lordship is burning in this church, it's not just through the perseverance that they wouldn't stop. Just like you and I don't need to stop, even when things get hard. But it's also through the proclamation that they had, they were full of what you want to call some empty grave joy, y'all. Let me tell you, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only changed everything here, it has changed everything in my life. How about you? Because Christ lives... I live. And, and because whatever Christ wants to do, I can do with him. He's invited me to that. 
And so we serve Jesus because he's alive. The proclamation here is full. And I want you to see what I mean by this proclaiming. Notice in your Bible at verse 20. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. I don't want you to miss this because it's so important. When the church scattered, they were preaching just to Jewish people, remember? As they were leaving their homeland, their countrymen. But whoever these guys are, they are unidentified in the text. We don't know their names, but I guarantee you heaven does, amen? They were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ as the Lord to the Greeks. The reason why this is a big deal is because nobody's been doing that. This is, this is what they were doing. Somehow, some way, by the power of God's Spirit, he moved in them in such a way to say, we can't keep the good news of Jesus just to the Jews. We've got to get the good news of Jesus to the Greeks and the Gentiles. In other words, they didn't have that mindset, my four, no more. They had that mindset that everybody needs to hear. And I want to say to you today, the proclamation that they had full in their life, one of the indications of lordship is when you and I are telling people about the good news of Jesus. We don't want to complicate it, right? Proclamation with evangelism is telling people about the good news of Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill made the statement one time, he said, Christians spend more money on dog food than they do on missions. That's because they don't have a value for the gospel if we don't give in that kind of way. We care about Jesus and the gospel. Even, even it's been said before, too, by uh, just, just Charles Spurgeon when he made the statement that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It comes down to realize that, man, if I believe the gospel, then I'm going to proclaim the gospel. Psalm 71:15 says, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. That's why when Jesus is the Lord of a people, the people proclaim him as the Lord, right? And that's where we want to be as a church family. When Jesus is Lord of our proclaiming, it's through evangelism. And it's also going to be through excitement. Because you'll notice in your Bible here, it says down in verse 22, that news about them reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad. I don't know how it happened. Nobody knows. But somehow, some way, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, word traveled back from Antioch to Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you, people talk about a lot of things that are dramatic. We talk about a lot of things, want to hear bad things. There's nothing like hearing good news. Nothing like it. And somehow, some way, the word traveled back. And when they got the news in the church that something God had done was of the Lord, they got excited about it. And when Barnabas said he was glad, he was excited. I'm going to tell you all, part of you and I walking with Jesus Christ as Lord, one of the things in which Jesus is the Lord of a people is joy. Like you know it. It's not happiness that comes with emotions and comes and goes. It's the joy of Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
I love the way Billy Sunday said it. He said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. (laughs) Somehow something's missing right there. C.S. Lewis made the statement, and he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. It's the recognition that, man, I have been saved by Christ. And because Jesus saved me, he's the Lord of my life. And so, yes, you don't have to beg me to tell people about Jesus. I want to tell people about Jesus. And there's some joy in my heart to tell. So God's people, when the Lord is Lord enthroned in our hearts, there is a lot of joy and excitement that comes with that proclamation in our life. These believers, these believers, the flame in the church was lit because they were persevering even through their hard times, their disruption to despair and distance. But they were also proclaiming with evangelism, with excitement, and also, look at the next verse, with so much encouragement. Look at what Barnabas did here. The Bible says, And he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Encouragement is a really big deal, isn't it? I think there's probably not a person in this room who doesn't like to be encouraged. I know we all do. Barnabas actually, that was his nickname. His real name in the Bible is Joseph. But he was such an encouraging kind of guy that the apostles in chapter 4 gave him the nickname Son of Encouragement or Barnabas. That's how he was. He wanted the people of God to remain true and devoted to the Lord. And that's where we are today in in recognizing these things together. An evangelist one time was speaking to a prison full of about 1,000 inmates. And in his message, he asked this question. How many of you had people in your life all of these years that said you would end up in a place like this one day? Almost every hand in the room came up. That's what discouragement will do. It tears down. The only thing we need to be doing behind somebody's back is just patting it. Encouraging. And what you and I must realize is that when Christ is the Lord of our heart, when God is number one, like when we see this in this text, thank you that Barnabas was there. These pagan people who got saved by Jesus They needed somebody to come into their life and say, hey, keep it up. I'm proud of you. Don't go back to your idols. Don't go back to your immorality. Follow the Christ. Remain true and devoted hearts in the church. When there is not encouragement, it is so discouraging. God's people need to be able to look at one another, and we need to be intentional is that when Christ is Lord, we're trying to edify people. We're trying to build them up, strengthen them. Because we got enough of that in the world today that tries to tear people down. The church needs to be the sounding board for that encouragement. But you'll notice here that this Barnabas is a man. The Bible says in verse 24, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I believe the key here of why Barnabas is the man he is in this text. The reason why it has the effect on us that it does in lordship is because the Holy Spirit of God is the filling power and the success of every church that is effective for the kingdom of God. We cannot see God's kingdom grow, expand, increase in any way without 
the Spirit of the living God. Filled with the Spirit of God. And what that means is that in this text, we see that these believers, man, they were persecuted so much. But they were persevering through their difficulties. And they were proclaiming with evangelism and excitement and encouragement. And proclaiming with empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit as Barnabas was evidencing that. I will tell you that A.W. Tozer made the statement, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. Instead, it is the total plan for God for his people. God wants us all to be Spirit-filled who know Christ. Walking in the fullness of his Spirit is key to how these things begin to multiply in our life. And what you'll notice in the text is that this Spirit-filled power is recognized because if you'll see here, it was so that they could serve the church. You'll notice that the men of Cyprus are sent out. Barnabas is sent out. Saul, who's in Tarsus, is sought after by Barnabas to bring him back to Antioch. Look in your Bible in verse 25. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. The key here. As he says, for a whole year they met with the church and they taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What stands out here to you and I is that they went, they, they, they went to serve the church. I want you to think about that right now. Like right here, right now, it's so important that no one has the mindset that I'm just here to date the church. Kind of like I'll just kind of come to church, go when I want, please, I go as I please. Instead, the mindset of the people of God. That's a healthy mindset. Is that I don't come to church to see what it can do for me. I come to serve. I come to say, what can I do for the church? It's the body of my brothers and sisters. And so what happens here in the text is that these men in Cyprus, Barnabas, Saul, what you notice they're all doing is God is filling them with their spirit. They're serving at the church and they spend an entire year at Antioch And they're there to make disciples. They taught them, invested into them in that kind of way. And they were called Christians. It's an interesting word that you and I use all the time. But you'll go back in the New Testament, and the word Christian is not identified as very frequently. Because back in Jerusalem, they used disciples. Disciples were followers of Jesus, the teacher, the master, Messiah. But whenever you get to Antioch, we got a problem. These aren't Jews. These are people who don't have any kind of synagogue. They have no affiliation with any kind of religious hub of which they can affiliate this new Christianity to. So the people of the day began to identify them by some kind of name. And they called them Christians. Amen? And Christians literally translates little Christ. The I-A-N on the end of Christian is a Latin derivative, and it it means party of. And so this meant that these people were in the party of Jesus. How many of you like that? I'm in the party of Jesus. I'm a Christian. But man, what a cost it is to pay. This is where we are in the text in this way. The question I want you to ask yourself is this. Am I actively sharing Jesus with people, or am I just in agreement with God that I should be? Anybody can agree 
Yes, I need to be telling people about Jesus, but it's quite a different story to actually aggressively and intentionally take the gospel with you wherever you go throughout the day. Be ready to witness to people. But see, when Jesus is Lord, you don't have to be coached into that. I don't have to be bought into that. I just want to witness to people because he's my Lord. You don't have to build me up for that. I just want to, and you do too. But today, if we're cold in that way, and we may not be witnessing to people as we need to, listen, Jesus' lordship is worth it. I want you to go with me to the end of this text, and I want you to see the remainder here of what this is. And it, The flame of lordship in the church was produced by the faithfulness from the Lord of the church. In other words, everything we see right now has been about what the people were doing for the Lord. But now this is who God is to his people. Who he is to his people is what matters most. And look in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. What this shows us here is this statement, the Lord's hand was with them. It's interesting. All in the Bible, you have the statements made, the Lord was with his people over and over again, his presence. But only on certain times do you see the statement, the Lord's hand, his hand is brought in. And the reason why this is important right here is because these people are preaching the gospel. They've been scattered and they're trying to do the work of God. And they're discouraged, but now they're encouraged and And they're seeing themselves persevere because Jesus is Lord. And God's steady hand is with them as they do. The Hebrew background of that hand of the Lord goes all the way back to the Old Testament understanding of which the hand was referring to this word that meant to be hemmed in. Like the hemming in of a garment. Putting together sewing and cloth and hemming in and putting a border in. It was a military siege word. It was used to refer to fortified back in that day, building up a barricade. God was like a wall of fire for his people. And he was taking care of everything in their life that could have been fearful because his hand was with him. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Could it be today that we ask this question? As God is the protector when the gospel is preached for us, is there any fearful worry in your life that is distracting you from resting in the Lord's protection? Is there any chance that any one of us are shaken up by something that has caused fear and anxiety to where it's distracting the Lordship of Jesus while we should be proclaiming him and we're like, man, I want to, but I can't get this off my mind. And it may be that you're shackled down by something of that nature. May I encourage you today that if you have a fearful worry, like the disciples here, the Christians here in the text, just like we find them going throughout the text, preaching regardless, making Christ known, even in spite of those things, may I encourage you to understand that they were proclaiming, making disciples, and serving because the Lord's hand was with them. Listen, I just pray that that will sink in. Literally, wherever I go, God is with me. His presence is with me. He doesn't leave me. He won't forsake me. He won't abandon me because he is not an abusive heavenly father. He's a loving heavenly father. And he cares for his children. Amen? 
And that's you. That's me. And that's what we have with our Father. But the satanic lies that fill our minds want us to be crippled by fearful worries. Remind yourself that the Lord's hand is with you as as Jesus is your Lord. And you'll notice here in the Bible too that it speaks here. And the next verse he says, it says, when he arrived and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. May I say to you, when Barnabas saw the grace of God, think about this for a moment. Barnabas is from the area of Cyprus, which was just west of Antioch. He knew the area very well. No question, because he was in that region. Antioch was very much pagan and idolatrous. When Barnabas gets there, a 300-mile hike from Jerusalem, and he gets to Antioch, the Bible says he saw the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? We experience it. We praise God for it. But here's what that word looks like. That word, see the grace It was the testimonial word of understanding the visual representation. He walks into a large number of people who were pagan, idolatrous, worshipers, immoral, who are now tasting of the good news of Jesus. So in other words, when he saw the grace of God, it was like an amazement. Like when I come home, and if I see that my kids have cleaned their room without me having to say anything, I'm amazed, right? And you would be too, maybe. He sees the grace of God. And in seeing that, he's knowing, man, God has been at work. This is, this is amazing. They're not even Jews. They got saved. Life is beginning to change before his very eyes. Romans 5 and 20 makes a lot of sense. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, right? And the grace of God is what intercepted my life. How about you? I know I got saved by Jesus when I did not deserve to be, but I'm telling you, he deserves all the glory for the salvation he gives to any of us. And that's why we lift him up. You'll notice in the text, too, that their Bible says there's a large number that believed and turned to the Lord, and they were added to the Lord. They were not added to a name except the Lord's name. They were added to not a denomination, not to a building, They were not added to a club. They were the Lord's people. So when these people got saved, there would only be one calling the shots. Jesus, the Christ, who is Lord. Amen? And that's what we see here in the text. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 says this. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The only growth that happens at Gospel Light Baptist Church is a growth indication that God has been good. He provides the increase. And while the word is preached and prayer is central, God brings the increase. Amen. And that's why we celebrate that today. The grace of God is what intercepted the lives of these people. If you can just imagine with me for a moment what it must have been like to be them. I don't have to think very back very far to remember what that was like for me. Got saved by Jesus and I've never been the same. And I'm going to tell you, this is why it's all about. But right here, right now, answer this question in your notes as well. Is there any shame of regret that I'm fighting? 
that the grace of God has already defeated. Because right now there could be somebody from Antioch right here in the, in the, in the sense of the text. It could be that you may be somebody, you feel like you're so far gone. That you've gotten so far off track and that you're like, man, God's not interested in me. I've gone too far. I did too. Totally did that. But the good news is that we serve the living Savior who does not throw stones. He throws a rope, basically, to pull you in, to rescue you, and to help you like he did me. He looks at the adulterous woman and looks at her while everybody wants to kill her. Jesus wants to forgive her and set her free. That's the Christ we serve. That's who I want to lift up today. Jesus. Amen? He's the one that says to us, go and sin no more. But if somebody here today is so stuck in a mistake that you made, something that you can't get off your chest, it's weighing you down and it's making you where you can't even hardly pray. You can't hardly utter the words. Coming to church, it takes everything you got because you're so gripped by regret. Let the grace of God penetrate you, friend. Christ loves you where you are. He cares more about where you're going, not where you've been. Because he has a future for you. Satan just has a past. Don't let the devil rob you of that. The grace of God is greater than our sin. Elizabeth Elliot said one time, until the will and the affections are brought under the authority of Christ, we have not begun to understand, let alone accept his lordship. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to listen carefully as we come to this time. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said this statement. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you and I know that Jesus is not Lord of our life because we are not a born-again Christian, and you're saying in your heart between you and God, man, I want to be, I have tried it my way, it's a dead-end street, and I'm still stuck. There's only one hope for me, and it's Jesus. I've heard people tell me that. It's Jesus. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. My friend, I love you. Christ loves you. This church loves you. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so if you're lost without him today and you're saying, I'm ready for Christ to be my Lord, you are welcome to come and I'll pray with you. Pastor Capace, any of our elders, our staff, this, this altar will be open for prayer. If you need to come, you come. But also if you're already a Christian and Jesus has already saved you as my brother and sister in Christ, I want you to hear in a loving way I want to say this. Remember what our Lord said. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus made this statement, and it grips me every time I even say it. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things for which I say? It's a reminder to think, is there anything in my life that Jesus, he's my Savior, but he's not Lord of certain areas of my life that he's called me to follow him in? In other words, these questions, there's four questions in your worship guide. How do you think Jesus would have answered those four questions? I think we all know the answer. Now my question is this, how did you answer the questions? 
And I guess the biggest question to ask right now is this. Is your answers and Jesus' answers, are they the same? For those of us in which Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, burning fire shut up in our bones, you would answer yes to those. And if that's the case, let me encourage you like a Barnabas. Keep following Christ as your Lord. But if there's any of us that say, no, Jeremy, I couldn't answer all of those questions in confidence. Some of those questions I know my answer is not what Jesus' answer is. Then it's time to return to where God is number one. It's time to return to lordship. And there's no better time than the present. Right here, right now. This invitation will begin in a moment. And after I pray, if anybody here says, man, I don't want to play games on God. I can't, I can't fool the Lord. I know there's some areas that I need to really that God needs to be number one. I need some lordship returning in my life, in my walk with God today. Come this morning if God leads you in that way and let the Lord be glorified. Father, I thank you for Gospel Light, our church family, and I thank you for the privilege to know you, Jesus. God, help us now, I pray, in this way, to return to you in a beautiful way in which God, your people, we leave this place with singing praise to Jesus as our king and recognizing that our life is in agreement with what we believe and we don't have a disconnect there. God, help lordship be the centerpiece of our heart that our lordship is to Jesus. Bless your people. Strengthen what needs to be strengthened today. Encourage those who need encouragement. I pray this, Lord. Save those who need to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Worship the Lord.